Uh, Daniel chapter 1. Let's turn there, please. Daniel chapter 1. Last week was our introductory study in in Daniel, and so uh, I'll refer to a few things uh, that we looked at last week, but uh, if you weren't able to be with us, but you want to continue on and kind of get where we were, go ahead and just ask ask for a, a CD or sign up for it up. In the, in the foyer on the table there, there should be a sign-up sheet for, ta- for CDs. All right. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's start there. That's where we actually started last week as well. All right, let's see. Maybe I went too fast getting, getting us there. Maybe I was supposed to give you, give you all some announcements. I don't... Uh, I don't have any announcements to give you. I guess I could get the last week's bulletin and and okay. Oh, okay. We don't need it. Praise the Lord for that. Okay. All right. Daniel chapter one verses one through eight is what we're going to look at tonight. And this is part two of our study. So we just started last week and we're right where we need to be. Daniel chapter one verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. And please note that the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar or Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now that's kind of gloomy to think that we begin a a book that way. But it certainly sets up the scene for what we will be learning about this person named Daniel. Daniel. God is my judge. We began our study in Daniel last week with a, an introduction dealing with the time frame and circumstances surrounding the writing of this prophetic book. Jehoiakim, king of the southern kingdom of Judah, who was noted as reigning at this time, was a wicked king who reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. Part of his reign was under Pharaoh Necho and the Egyptians And part of it was under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The reason why he went from one to the other was because the Babylonians came and defeated the Egyptians and got them out of the land in 606 B.C. So now that they were in the land, they were also wanting to control all of the land. And so Jehoiakim, who had been a puppet king for Pharaoh, now became a puppet king for the Babylonians. And at the beginning of this chapter, Babylon had, has assumed now the supremacy over the land of Israel and the people of Israel. And while the historic descriptions are pertinent to our understanding, the spiritual climate and the Lord's decisions in placing Israel in captivity for discipline and chastisement, the emphasis in this chapter is really on the, on the godly character and the decisions of Daniel and his friends. 
One thing that we truly need to understand as we get into our study of Daniel is the mind of God in giving prophetic visions and revelations along with the deliverances that he gives to Daniel and to the three Hebrew children or the three Hebrew young men that we're going to learn about later. We need, to, we need to understand the mind of God giving these prophecies and visions and revelations to a man who was spiritually minded and set apart and separate from the sin and iniquity of his day and time. That would be Daniel. If we are truly to understand these things, we need to pray to be spiritually minded as well. We need to pray to be spiritually minded and set apart as well. And as I said last week, we need to dare to be Daniels. We need to be like Daniel. The book opens with that summary of the first deportation of the Jews in 605 B.C. Now Daniel and his friends were part of the nobles and royal families taken from Jerusalem as captives. But nothing more is really said about his family background. Now I don't want to make this deportation sound as if there was no violence involved as if it was just some turnover to this government that came in or this army that came in that would have a government led by Nebuchadnezzar. As the text says in verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now I'd like for you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 24. And this is important. It's not so much a part of our our introduction of last week. It's, It's adding to it, but... But it's something that we need to grab hold of here to understand the time and the circumstances. In his day, it says in uh, 2 Kings 24, verse 1. I never really finished giving you that, did I? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his hand. You guys are following in your Bibles anyway, right? Okay. Yeah, I've got to remember to press the button. Okay. Let's look at 2 Kings 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant three years. And then he turned and rebelled against him. So what we're told there is that Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the children of Ammon. Why all of these? Because you see Babylon, the the nation of Babylon, the Babylonians were coming from the east and swallowing up all of these other territories and all these other peoples, and they became the slaves of, of the Babylonians. And, and certainly, they, if they wanted to stay alive, they'd do whatever Nebuchadnezzar said. So, all of a sudden, the Chaldees, of course, who came from the area of Babylon, remember Ur of the Chaldees, that's where Abraham was from. Uh, the bands of the Syrians, as they moved, you can see this as they move west. Uh, and then the bands of the Moabites and the bands of the children of Ammon and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets. Which is is telling us that the prophets had already prophesied that this was going to happen if the people of Judah had disobeyed God. Which they had. Sounds like uh, pretty good warfare type of stuff for us to have in the background while we're going through this, right? I think that's either uh, fireworks or we are being invaded. But we'll, we'll, we won't worry about that right now. Verse 3 says, Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh. 
Now, we've not, we, we saw the name Manasseh back when we were studying the book of Genesis not long ago. The, the sons of Joseph. And this was one of the sons of Joseph. And uh, he became a pretty bad guy there for a while, according to all that he did. And also for the innocent blood that he shed, the, the, the blood that Manasseh has shed. God is coming down on, on, on them for this. And it says, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. So the, uh, the, in, the inference here is, of course, that when Babylon came, they besieged the city in a violent manner because they were having to um, pay for the sins that Manasseh had caused within the city of Jerusalem. So as we look back at verse 2 of our text, going back to Daniel chapter 1, uh, it is interesting to me that the name Shinar or Shinar or Shinar is used to describe Babylon. You all see that in your text now, Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. Shinar is the biblical name for Babylon that indicates a place that is hostile to God and hostile to faith in God. Now this is where we're giving a test from the book of Genesis, okay? See if you all can pass the test. Well, okay, I'll give you, it's an open book test. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, we are told this. And Cush begat Nimrod. You all remember Nimrod? We're told of Nimrod that he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, this was not that he just, you know, went to uh, uh, Planet Fitness to get in shape. You know, he, he was actually being a mighty one against the Lord because in the next verse it says, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. In other words, the word before means against him. He was a mighty hunter standing against God, the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, uh, he became a legend in his time and in his area. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. You all remember Babel. Uh, and Erech Akkad Kalne in the land of Shinar. So Shinar then is really where Babel was. There was a lot of problems that existed in that time because they were actually opposed to the God of, uh, of creation. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. This, of course, is Babel. Uh, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a, plan, uh, a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar, which is an interesting thing. And I I know I mentioned this back in Genesis, but just as a reminder to you, when man builds, he has to make his own bricks. You know, when God builds, he uses stone. And uh, that's the difference. And here man is is developing his own way of building, again, in opposition to God. Uh, Genesis 11 verse 4 and they said go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth now getting back to our text carrying away the vessels of a defeated people's temple which is what Nebuchadnezzar had done after he had of course taken uh, uh, Jerusalem and went back to Babylon with, with captives certain captives Uh, He took uh, certain vessels from the temple and uh, that was a way of the kings of that area and time expressing their victory and sovereignty over the defeated nation and especially their gods. As I said last week, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar was probably saying is my God is better than your God. My God defeated your God so we're going to take your temple stuff and put it in our temple. 
Just to let you know, we're, we're stronger than you are, and, you're God, and our God is stronger than your God. Now, that, that's not going to last very long, of course, we know, because our God is greater than all. But remember that this was allowed because it, uh, Judah needed to be uh, chastised. Judah needed to be punished for their sins. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had ultimately defeated the God of Israel and Judah. But it's significant to note that some 97 years before this event took place, the Lord had told King Hezekiah that, this, that all of this would take place. The prophecies would take place. I know that's distracting, isn't it? I want to keep your attention. Come over here. Come this way. Look at me. All right. Uh, but this king, Hezekiah, wept before the Lord uh, because God had told him, get your house in order, Hezekiah, because you're going to die. And Hezekiah started weeping before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to the prophet Isaiah, who told him that God was going to extend his life 15 years. So Isaiah went to tell Hezekiah, you're going to be living 50 more years. And so as the king was recovering from all of this, news began to spread, and word got to the Babylonians. Now this was before the Babylonians became a strong nation. And, and so they sent ambassadors to Hezekiah with gifts and letters. And then Hezekiah, you know, began to show them around in the... Uh, Jerusalem, but then he, he showed him all the treasures of the kingdom which displeased the Lord. It's as if to say, you, you don't ever show people you don't really know, you know, what we have. And of course, in that day and time again, because if, uh, if they know what you got, then they're going to want to take what you have. So the Lord said to Hezekiah through Isaiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, he said, Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the, in the palace of the king of Babylon. So now all of that is the setup to Daniel. Because now in Daniel, all of this is happening. All of this is taking place. So in the next section of our text, starting at verse 3, going back to Daniel chapter 1, we learn of the Babylonian system of indoctrinating their captives. They have taken a lot of people, not everybody, but they've taken a number of people captive and taken them in that first deportation back to Babylon with purpose. There's purpose. Notice what it says in verse 3 of our text. It says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of, the, of his eunuchs, uh, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So there were uh, these people that were brought for the most part were young, and they were the best and the brightest of Israel. They were the best and the brightest. And to indoctrinate these young men into the Babylonian system, Nebuchadnezzar's policy was to teach them the Babylonian language, to teach them the Babylonian customs and the religion of this pagan society, along with intense educational programs dealing with agriculture, architecture, astrology, astronomy, mathematics, and other sciences. 
This was a highly developed uh, civilization for its time. And all of those things they were well known for in those days. By the end of three years of training, they would have forgotten their past ways. That was the whole point. Indoctrinate them in the language, in the culture, in the religion. And in three years' time, day by day by day, little by little, forgetting where they came from, forgetting who they were, they would be completely assimilated into the Babylonian culture. Now let me tell you, uh, or at least let me ask you this. Do, do, you, do we see then how important it is to train up our children while they are young in the ways of the Lord? This is something that we we should never take for granted, never take lightly, that our children need to know the God who created them and know about them from the very youngest of times. And when when we do dedications here, we always read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, the the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thou shalt teach the word of God to your children. When they wake up in the morning, when they go to bed at night, before they go to bed at night, it is what to be, is to be a part of their whole life. And we're told in Proverbs 22, most of us know this, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train there is, is, um, is the Hebrew word hanach. Hanach. Uh, we, we all are familiar with the, with the term Hanukkah, uh, the, the celebration of lights, uh, uh, in, in the winter season of, uh, you know, around the, when Christians celebrate Christmas, uh, Hanukkah is around the same time. Hanukkah, why, why Hanukkah? Because Hanukkah means dedication. Hanukkah means dedication. And, and in fact, the, 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 literal, the literal translation of this from Hebrew to English is dedicate the child at the opening of his path. At the mouth, like a, like a mouth is an opening, like, dedicate your child at the opening of his path. In other words, train up, initiate, dedicate, and consecrate your children to the service of God. Consecrate them, set them apart to the service of God. Nurse them, teach them, and discipline them as God's children. That's what this is saying. Nurse them. In other words, nurture them. Teach them and discipline them as God's child. Not as your child, as God's child. Whom He has entrusted actually to your care. These things observed... And illustrated by your own conduct, the child will never depart from the path of life. That's where the, that's where the rub is here when we, when we get to Proverbs 22, verse 6. You train up a child in the way he should go. What is the way that he should go? In the way of God. 
And when he is old, he will not depart from it. But part of that dedication is your dedication to follow God and to be an example of God in your home. And the illustration of God's life and care and concern in your home. That's why I say that these things observed and illustrated by your conduct, that child will never depart from the path of life. See, it isn't isn't about giving your child over to someone else to do it. That's the problem with our schools today. Too many parents have given their children over to public education, and where are they today? After after the years of of hearing all of the the indoctrination of the world system that nowadays has has really... uh, changed and affected many hearts you know it's, it, it is a blessing and it is a, a miracle in many ways that we came through public education many of us ourselves came through public education and still the lord saved us you know but there was so much that we had been touched by in, in a ba- in a kind of a bad way you know in an ungodly way when we were there so, so this is what, what's happening with, with Daniel and, and, and the, the young Hebrew men that, that he is serving with there now in, in, in Babylon. As we read on, it says, and the king appointed, and this, this is again a part of that indoctrination and, and change of their ways of life. It says, and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. Notice, the king's meat. That, that was something that was actually, you know, you were to be honored to be eating what the king is eating. Because most of the people, if not nearly all of the people, you know, they had to eat whatever they could find or whatever they could get or whatever was given to them. But the king's meat, that, that was something totally different. That was like sitting at his table. You might not be at his table, but it's like sitting at his table. And again, think about the incentives here for these young Hebrew men that are going through this process of becoming eunuchs now, I, under, I, I, I know that most of the people re, don't realize that the word eunuch um, is a saris in the, in the Hebrew, S-A-R-I-S, and, it, and it, uh, it, it really comes from a word that means to castrate. So you get an idea of, uh, of what that means. We, we talked a little bit about that in, in the time of Potiphar in Egypt and all. But um, some people don't think that they really did this uh, on these young men because when you go back to uh, verses 4 and 5 or uh, 3 and 4 I should say uh, verse 4 children in whom it was no blemish but well favored uh, they wouldn't want to blemish them at least that's what some people say but then again the, you know the Babylonians that probably had their reasons to do that and so we might have to think that it might have happened but we're not we're not going to dig deep into that particular part of their lives. But nonetheless, they, they were being prepared for service before the king. So they were given this daily provision of king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them three years, there's the, the, the time frame, that at the end of thereby, uh, that at the end thereof, they might stand before the king, stand in service to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, now among these were the children of Judah, and, and four are specifically mentioned. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So now this was also a part of the indoctrination. Your name was now going to change. You will no longer have a Hebrew name. You will go by a Babylonian name. 
For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach. Literally it's Shadraku. And I say that because uh, Aku is, is one of their gods. So we'll, we'll see that in just a moment when I, when I translate what these mean. Uh, to Mishael of Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego. So if you're familiar with the old gospel song, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their names in Babylonian uh, lingo. Okay, we'll come back to that. So Daniel and his three friends were more than likely about 15 to 16 years of age at this time going into Babylon. And they were tempted to be pampered with the king's foods, with the king's wines, and all the delicacies that would be on the king's table. They were being prepared for the king to serve before him. And first of all, the meat that was to be given to them was probably offered to their gods. So it probably wasn't kosher. That was part of, again, changing their mindsets. Receiving these things from the government of the king was intended to be, as I said, a very special honor. I suppose that their attitude could have been the attitude of some people today. Hey, you know, well, well, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. I think we eventually got that, that, you know, when in Rome. When in Rome, do what the Romans do. When in Babylon, well, I guess you eat what the Romans eat. I mean, the Babylonians eat. You, You do what the Babylonians do. But then their names were changed. Daniel, as I mentioned earlier, his name means my judge is Elohim. My judge is God. God is my judge. But he changed it. This prince of the eunuchs changed it to Belteshazzar. Now, Bel is another god. As a matter of fact, Bel is the main god of the Babylonians. B-E-L. And so Bel Teshazar literally means, and, and there's different, some of you might have uh, study Bibles that have, you know, in the notes, uh, different translations. So I'm not going to give you all of them. I, I want to give you as close to what, what the Hebrew, or the, I should say, the, uh, uh, the Babylonian uh, Aramaic is. Bel is my judge. In other words, in contrast to uh, God is my judge, Elohim is my judge, uh, Bel is my judge. But it also can mean Bel, Bel's prince. Bel's prince. And then Hananiah, or Hananiah, whose name means beloved of the Lord, or also means in Hebrew under God's grace, was given the name Shadraku, Shadraku, or Shadrach, which means under Aku's command. So where we are, where, where Hananiah was under God's grace, now the name is changed to under Aku's command. And then Mishael, whose name means who is as God, who can be like God, in other words. Who can be like our God? Mishael was given the name Meshaku, 
Meshaku, or Meshach, as we say it in English, but that means who is like Aku. So do you see the, the, not just the contrast, but the deliberate um, arrogance, in essence, against the God of these Jewish young men. And then Azariah, we didn't uh, get to his name, Azariah, whose name means the Lord is my help, or uh, the help of God, as it were, or servant of God, because servant, you know, is one who helps or whatever. So the, it, it's, it can be seen either way, but the Lord is my help or servant of Yahweh was given the name Abednego, Abednego, or actually Abednebo, which means servant of Nego or Nebo. So again, there's the contrast. Uh, just you're not you're no longer God's servant. You're uh, Nebo's servant, which is another god of the Babylonians. So all of this sounds very much like the tactics that Satan himself uses to draw many people away from the Lord. But I, but I do have to say he uses tactics like these to draw Christians away from the Lord and to indoctrinate us into the world system. This is what Satan tries to do, to make us ineffective for God with our gifts and talents that God has given us to serve Him. He seeks to change us. Identification to the world. Education in the ways of the world. And feeding people what the world has to offer. Not just food, Entertainment, all kinds of uh, visual things, and, and, and you know the, the list can go on and on. Far too many, or I should say for too many, it takes too long to realize how rancid these things are to the spiritual taste buds. Sometimes it takes way too long. And before you know it, we have found ourselves having slid away, backslidden as it were, from God. Satan desires to blind us. He tempts us with the things of this world. Is it any wonder that uh, John, in his first letter to the church, writes this in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. He says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, you know, Jesus put it this way, you know, you either, you either love God or you love mammon. You can't love both. Mammon means money and all kinds of other things. But I mean, look, look, at, look at what we're always faced with. You know, the, 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 the opportunity for compromise. God's not going to mind... God's not, you know, it's, yes, he is. He, God cares. If our God is a jealous God, he's jealous for us. He wants us to love him because he's loved us with an everlasting love. So we're not to love the things of this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the very same things that destroyed man in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Why does John use those uh, distinctive statements, the lust of the flesh, the desire for the most beautiful fruit on a tree, which God says on the day that you eat of this fruit, from this tree you're going to die. And the, the enemy said, no, 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 you're not going to die. Calls God a liar. Did God really say those things? He puts doubt in us, in our minds. The lust of the eyes, whoa, the beauty of that fruit. Couldn't get beyond it. The pride of life. The whole issue was if you eat of that fruit, you'll know like God, you'll be like God. Isn't that why God doesn't want you to eat of it? Because then you'll be like him. What does the world teach us today? Not only in the New Age movement, but just about in every other world religion that there is. Somehow, it always comes back to, you can be like God. Or you can be God. And John says, for all that is in the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of light is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, it's all going to pass. It's all going to meet its, its final end in a, in, a, in a very ominous way. But, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Now that's what we're called to do. We're called to do the word of God, the will of God. Because that abides forever. Everything that we do for the Lord today will be recorded in the book of life. So the first and the foremost decision and response given by Daniel sets the course for our understanding his devotion to the living God. We need to understand it because we need to live it because we need to be like Daniel. So in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, and this is the key verse in in this section of our our teaching tonight, but Daniel purposed in his heart. And I love that phrase, Daniel purposed in his heart. In other words, it's like saying Daniel on purpose in his heart would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, we are going to carry on from here next time in, in, in understanding what takes place. And that's a wonderful section of this whole chapter itself. And it really need, we need to focus our attention on that next time. But I, but I stated last week, and I'll state this throughout our study of the book of Daniel again, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Purpose in your heart to stand fast against the enemy. Purpose in your heart to stand for your God. Purpose in your heart to stand for Jesus Christ. Purpose in your heart to stand in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In all that Jesus Christ is, purpose yourself to stand against the enemy and stand for your God. First of all, in Daniel's life, there was the issue of honoring his God by his obedience unto the Lord. His obedience unto the Lord. Again, we're not given a lot of details about his life or his family before going to Babylon. 
But one thing we know from verse 8, Daniel knew his God. Daniel knew his God, and he knew the forgiveness that God had placed upon his life, and he knew from the law how he was to stand as a believer in his God. Consider, if you will, Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Would you not say that Daniel understood that? That when faced with the temptation to take of this king's delicacies and this king's wines that he said no now we'll talk about how he said no next time but we now come to grips with who Daniel is now we come to grips with what Daniel is and Paul would tell us because now we've been given the word of God we know the law of God We should. Paul himself would say this to us. He said, Behold Israel after the flesh. Now, in this particular section of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is saying, he's saying, Look at Israel when they acted in the flesh. Look at Israel when they acted in the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices uh, partakers of the altar? How many times do we read in the Old Testament in the life of the nation of Israel that they went from worshiping God to going to the high places and worshiping the idols of those around them. Time and time again. Then he says, what say I then? That the idol is anything or or that which is offered and sacrificed to the idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. So it wasn't just a concept that that was in Old Testament. It was also a concept that, that Paul needed to tell the church. Because, because the truth is always the truth. The law is perfect. Psalm 19. Read Psalm 19 this evening. If you can, read Psalm 119 this evening. You'll be up a while. But it's all about the law and the perfectness of the law, the perfection of the law, the beauty of the law. But he says, hey, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Daniel is saying, I don't want to partake of this devilish table. The meat smelled really good. Those carafes of wine look rich. But they belong to devils and not to God. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? What great questions 
to ask ourselves, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? When we find ourselves picking at the table of devils and demons. You know, Paul would later comment in his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Many of you have heard this many times because we've gone over it time and again. When Paul says to them, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Now, it's a rhetorical question that demands an, an answer, right? It has only one answer. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? None. None. And what communion has light with darkness? None. You can be in darkness, but as soon as the light turns on, you're not in darkness anymore. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. And please don't, don't, uh, don't try to compromise by saying, well, yeah, but you know what? I have one of those little devices, you know, that I could turn this way and then the lights go dim, you know. As long as that light's not off, it's still, you can still see. No dimmer switches here. And what concord has Christ with Belial? Bell. Does that sound familiar? Belial. With worthlessness. The worthlessness of the gods that are not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? An infidel being an unbeliever. We have nothing. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, he says, for you are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, this is something to take to heart. This is something that we ought to meditate upon. It is something that we need to ponder and think, weigh these situations out. Because this is not pick and choose theology in the church. You know, we're not, we're not called to, you know, like certain verses of Scripture and others we can put aside. This is not one that we can put aside. I've always remembered those, they used to sell these things in, a, in Christian bookstores, these little, these little bread things with, with, with special scriptures that were nice and encouraging. It's nice, it comes out of scripture, but the fact of the matter is, it isn't just encouraging words that we need to hear. We also need to be corrected. And we also need to, to know what direction God wants us to go. We've got to hear the whole of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, not just pick and choose what we want to hear. I mean, I would want to hear good, nice verses of Scripture for me all the time. But I know that I don't need those every day. I mean, I, I need them, but I need the others too. I need to be encouraged to walk right before the Lord each and every day. And then he says, Wherefore, come out of, from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. That's exactly what Daniel is doing. He's coming out and being separate even in the midst of Babylon. And, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So that's not just for Daniel and that's not just for Joshua. That's not just for David. That's not just for Moses. That's not just for all those great and wonderful characters in the Old Testament. This is for us. 
Because Paul has written it to the church. And then he writes in the next verse, verse 1 of chapter 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Not just the flesh, but the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When we soil ourselves, now that sounds weird, but when we soil ourselves with the things of this world, it touches every part of our life. Spiritually, and physically. And the Lord says, give it to me. I've cleansed you already. The blood of Jesus Christ, but you need to get out and you need to come back to me. You need to love me because I love you and I loved you first. These are the things that we need to really focus our attention upon because Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. The seriousness that we spoke of the last five weeks on Sunday mornings about the coming of Jesus Christ in the book of 1 Thessalonians is right here as well. How we need to get our lives right each and every day because Jesus could come at any moment. God was going to come to Daniel at any moment and use him in a tremendous way, not just for the children of Israel or the children of Judah in the time of their captivity, all the more in his prophecies that we will be affected by Daniel had to be ready. And he had to be clean and right to receive the prophecies. So Daniel purposed in his heart not to do any of those things. What an example he is to us. He was in the world, but the world was not in him. Isn't that great to know? He was in the world, but the world was not in him. It's it's like a boat. It needs to be in the water to function. But once water gets into the boat, that is when trouble begins and the boat starts to sink. The more water comes into the boat, the more the, the, the boat sinks. One of the areas where Christians suffer the most is in what is called the gray areas of life. And the reason why Christians suffer the most in gray areas is because wondering whether it's right or wrong or whatever, we just say, well, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. It does matter. Let, let me give you an example. Paul, Paul said in Romans fourteen fourteen, he says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, notice, Not persuaded by just some thinking or some philosopher or some psychologist or some psychiatrist or some weirdo. He says, I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Don't just stop there now, because that sounds pretty good. But he says this, 
that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, of course, he's been talking about brothers in Christ that are offended by, possibly by, by some of the things that some people know is not really bad to do, but to them, if it's, if it's an offensive thing, you know, then we don't want to do it just to, you know, to flaunt them or whatever. We want to do the right thing. We know it's probably in that gray area. It's not, not, not going to really matter a lot. But, you know, if a person really just feels that that's the wrong thing, then, you know, like, like he, you know, some people can say, you know, I don't care that this might have been, because in those days, sometimes a lot of the meat that they bought in, in the mercados, you know, that they had over there, you know, they would buy the meat and then they'd eat, you know, some of it was already given to idols, but they didn't know it. They just bought the meat because they were hungry. And they eat the, and, and Paul said, that's okay, you know, if you're not worried. But if somebody knows it is, and they don't want to touch it, that's, you know, then honor that. It's, un, it's unclean to them. That, that's the point here. So in other words, if you feel, sense, or discern that something is wrong, well, don't, don't do it. So the best thing in gray areas is if, 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 if there's just a little question about it, then don't do it. It's okay. Don't do it. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the, the dilemma for the believer. The pendulum swings strong both ways. The pendulum swings very strong both ways in this. Beware of being legalistic. Because some people will say, you, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, well, you know, you, you, you've just now turned the, the, the Word of God into a very legalistic thing. That's one, that's one extreme, okay, in this pendulum swinging. But on the other hand, don't abuse your freedoms in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. We have freedom in Christ. This is a reason, again, why we need to know and understand the Word of God, because there are certain things that are not, you know, we're not bound to, and, and God has set us free from certain things. And we can do those things gladly, but we don't want to offend people either. So, you know, we have to just kind of be discerning. Will what we do, and here's the questions we need to ask. Will what we do benefit us or will it hurt us spiritually? Will it benefit us spiritually or will it hurt us spiritually? That's a question to ask. Will it draw us closer to the Lord or will it move us further from Him? These are the questions to ask in certain gray areas. Just consider this. You can enter into a race, let's say a marathon. You can enter into a marathon wearing a three-piece suit and wingtip shoes. Uh, I say wingtips because I went to the shoe store the other day and I saw some wingtips. I said, man, I haven't had wingtips in like 30 years. They're pretty cool shoes, you know. And uh, as I saw them, I said, whoa, you know, wingtips, wow. Can't run in them. But you could if you wanted to. You can sign up for a, for a marathon wearing a three-piece suit and wingtip shoes. That may be lawful, but it will not be very beneficial. You won't win the race unless you are Superman. And there is no Superman. We know that except... There is one man who's above all, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But do you, do you get the picture? 
you can do it if you want. You can run in a three-piece suit and, and wingtip shoes, but you're not going to win the race. So it's not beneficial. It's something to think about when it comes down to discerning the things that uh, may at times be offensive or not helpful, not beneficial. Remember, Paul has said, all things are lawful to me, but not beneficial. They're not beneficial, so why do them? All right, so let's get back to Daniel because we, we forgot about Daniel here for a minute. The given names of Daniel and his friends reveal what they were taught originally and who would be their strength through their trial in a foreign pagan land, right? I mean, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was their judge and protector. Daniel, he's my judge. God is my judge. But he's also my protector. He was also their giver of grace and mercy, Hananiah. That was the name of one of those men. He was the giver of grace and mercy and love and protection. He would always be their God who could not be surpassed by any other God or person. Mishael. Who is as great as our God? And he was and would ever be their help in time of need. Azariah. Azariah. And they would be his servants lovingly and willingly. I want to close, at least for tonight, with Proverbs chapter 4. Would you turn there? Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. You see, even though they were given the names of Belteshazzar, Shadrachu, Meshachu, and Abednego, even though they were given all those names, they were still Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They were still connected to their God. And what we will learn at the end of this next week in this last part of, of chapter chapter uh, 1 is, is, is encouraging. But, but let's look at Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Take one verse at a time here and just look at what the father is saying to his son. Words of wisdom, wisdom that comes from God. Attend to my words. Listen intently to what I have to say. Lean forward into these sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. You're going to see things in this world that aren't of God. So let the words of wisdom never depart from your eyes. When you need to turn your eyes away. He says, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Keep your eyes in the midst of thine heart. Isn't, isn't that good advice for today? 
when we face so many things in front of us like the internet and what goes on with any kind of access into, you know, just worldly uh, pornographic things. And then just TV and movies and whatnot. Let the Word of God not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. They're life. We, when we came to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we came to the one who declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've given you life. Is that a life that we should take for granted? Is that life that we should take cheaply in our lives? I hope not. Health to all their flesh. Oh, we would debate that. Well, I don't know. Some people would say, well, Lord, you know, if that's true, how come I'm sick? How come I'm going through the struggles that I'm going through? Don't take your eyes or your heart off of the Word of God. As long as we're breathing, as long as we're serving, God's giving us life. It's health to our flesh. And when the time comes that He calls us home, where are we going to be? With Him. Awaiting a new body. A body that will be able to spend time with the Lord forever and ever. Keep thy heart with all diligence. And this is the key verse here. I was going to only give you this verse, but I thought everything around it is so wonderful. Verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. All the issues that we deal with on a daily basis come right out of our heart, our spirit, who we are in Christ. Keep your heart with all diligence. The word keep there means guard, garrison, protect your heart with all diligence. Put away from thee a froward mouth. A mouth. A froward mouth. That's hard to say in English. A froward mouth just means a very perverse mouth. And, and, and the, the, the second word in, in the next phrase, and perverse lips put far from thee. That's actually really saying, put away the perversity or the perversion of your mouth. Put it away. So he says, put away from you, from you a froward or a perverse mouth and, and, and perversion put that perversion of it, the root of it, in other words, far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on. I love that. Right on. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Don't lean to the left or to the right, you know, in this world. The world says, come over this way, come this way, come this way. God says, follow me. Keep your eyes right on him. Ponder the path of thy feet. In other words, weigh out where every step of your life is taken. Weigh it out. Think about it. Ponder it. 
and let all thy ways be established. Remember, the establishment is being grounded, rooted and grounded in God. And lastly, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we take a step and we know we're not supposed to be there. You ever felt that way, anybody? Don't raise your hands. You don't have to. I can tell you this. I, I know that experience. Putting my foot somewhere I know I'm not supposed to be. You know it the minute you put it down. What does God say? Hey, remove it. <laughs> Midway from there. God has his reasons why. He wants to save you all the time. I mean, he's, he's saving you and getting you ready for, for eternity, but man, don't go that way. All of this that we've seen here so far is what we see Daniel do in one chapter. And yet he does it throughout his whole life. And it's a long, long life. Through seven monarchs, Some people can't go seven minutes. But we can. Not by our might or power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord. By God's Spirit. By God's ways. By God's Word. By God's presence. By God's love. By God's Son. Yeshua. Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for your love and mercy. Thank you for getting us started in the book of Daniel, and may we continue faithfully through it, learning and growing. I pray, Father, that you will establish your word in our hearts. And as we face those times of trial and tribulation and even temptation, we would just pray that you would give us, Lord, just a double portion of your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom beyond all wisdom. And point us back into your word. And Lord, keep us there every day. That we never, Lord, just just take for granted your word. How How can we do that, Lord, when we see this world in the condition that it's in? Change our hearts, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. As David cried out to you, Lord God, take not thy Holy Spirit from us, but restore unto us the joy of your salvation. We thank you for our salvation that is so rich and so sweet and so great, our salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to establish it greater and greater in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.